Seamus, The Case of the Mason Jars, Episode 6, Not a Writer, is based on the book by John MacDonald, Bullet for Cinderella. The morning was dreary with damp winds, low-scudding clouds, lights on in the stores. I couldn't get a better line on Pixie until the administration office at the high school opened on Monday. The few leads I had faded away into nothing. I think it's time I dumped this gig and moved on. I had enough money left to take me into Mexico and maybe down the coast all the way to South America. Hunter, could you run by about noon? I've got something I want you to see. I told her I would. She didn't say what she wanted to show me. If it didn't move me closer to the money, I'd leave this afternoon. She was in the reception office of the animal hospital. She gave me a quick warm smile as I walked in. A woman sat holding a small shivering dog waiting her turn. There was a boy with a Siamese cat on a leash. The cat, dainty and arrogant, purposely ignored the shivering dog. I'm covering for the other receptionist. She should be back soon. A small woman with dark hair, wearing scrubs, hurried into the room after about five minutes, and Irene handed off the desk to her. What do you want me to see? It's by the lake. We can drive there. We took my car. She gave me the directions. We took small back roads. It was pretty country with rolling hills and spines of rock that stuck out of the hills. In the city, the day had been gloomy. Out in the country, it was no better. But the breeze seemed moist with spring. The new leaves were pale green. She sat slouched in the seat with one knee up against the glove compartment and pointed out the farms, told me about the people, told me about the history of the area. At her suggestion, I took a back road that led to a place called Highland Lake. She told me when to slow down. When we came to a dirt road, we turned right. A mile down the slippery, muddy road was a sign that said, B. Hirsch. I went cautiously down an overgrown drive through the woods until we came to a small cabin with a big porch overlooking a small lake less than a mile long and half as wide. I could see the other cabins in the trees along the lake shore. We went onto the cabin porch and sat on the railing and talked. We watched the quick winds furrow the lake surface. Hmm. We don't get up here as much as we used to when Mother was alive. Dad talks about selling it. I don't think he will. He hunts up here in the fall. It's only 18 miles from town, the shortest way. Eh, It's pretty primitive. But you know, Hunter, this could be a good place to write. I felt a quick, sharp pang of guilt. Nobody's using it. There's no electricity. But there are oil lamps and a Coleman Lanson. There's plenty of wood in the shed. One of those little gasoline stoves. The bunks are comfortable in this. There's lots of blankets. It would save paying rent. I know Dad wouldn't mind a bet. Thanks, Irene, but really, I couldn't. Why not? It's only a half hour to town. I don't think I'll be here long enough to make it worthwhile moving in. I'd like you to see it anyhow. The key was hidden under one of the roof supports near the door. We went inside. It was bare. It looked clean and comfortable. There were fishing rods on a wall rack, a big stone fireplace. I could live here. A girl like Irene was enough to make me want to stay. I didn't need to find the money. It's nice. Uh, I've always loved it. I'd pitch a fit if Dad ever tried to sell it. The first time I came up here, they had to bring a playpen and a high chair. I learned to swim here. I broke my collarbone falling out of one of those top bunks in there. She moved towards me. I don't know what happened, but we were inches from each other, standing alone in the stillness of the cabin. She smiled slyly and stepped closer. It was convenient. No one would see us out here. There was a bed. She seemed willing. She stepped closer. Hunter, you could stay here and write. 
I slipped my arm around her waist and pulled her closer. She didn't resist. I could feel her heart beating. I leaned in and kissed her, and she kissed me back. It contained all the goodness that was in her. I closed my eyes and pushed her away. I had no goodness to give her. Irene, you don't know anything about me. But I could, if if you'd give me a chance. You won't like what you find out. Frowning, she turned away, walked slowly to the window, and looked out across the lake. I saw her shoulders stiffen, and she leaned closer to the window and seemed to peer more intently. I moved to see what held her attention. What's the matter? Look, isn't that some kind of an animal over there? Directly across. That was the Vincent camp before Leon sold it. The one with the green roof. Now, look, just to the right of the porch. I looked and saw something bulky, partially screened by the brush. It looked as if it could have been a bear. She brushed by me and came back with a pair of binoculars. It's a man. Here, you look. I adjusted them to my eyes. The man was getting to his feet. He was a big man in a brown suit. He was hatless and his hair was thin on top and he had a wide, hard-looking face. It was the man who had driven by Stucky and me in the blue sedan. The man who had come into the bar at the inn. He brushed the knees of his brown suit and dusted his hands together. He bent over and picked up what looked like a long dowel or a piece of reinforcing rod. Let me look. I know the people who bought the camp from Leon, and that... that isn't the man. Maybe he's a repair guy of some kind. I don't think so. I know most of them. Now he's going up on the porch. He's... he's trying the door. Hey! He broke a window right next to the door. Now he's, he's getting up the window. Now he's stepping in over the sill. She turned to me, her eyes wide. How about that, Hunter? He's a thief. We better go over there. If he's a thief, he could be carrying a weapon. We should call the cops. Wait a minute. She hurried into the bedroom and came back with a twenty-two target pistol and a box of shells. It was a long-barreled automatic. She thumbed the clip out and loaded it expertly, snapped the clip back in, and handed me the gun. Hm. You'll be more impressive with it than I could. Here, come on. I watched her walk out of the cabin. For a moment, I was going to let her go by herself. I looked down at the gun in my hand and at her retreating back. Damn. Irene, get in the car. We'll drive over. A dark blue sedan was parked at the head of the driveway facing out. There wasn't room to drive by. I parked and we went down the trail toward the camp. I turned and motioned her to stay back. I went ahead, but I heard her right behind me. The man came walking around the corner of the camp, frowning. He stopped short when he saw me, his eyes flicking toward the gun and then toward Irene. Why did you break into that camp? Take it easy, lady. Put the gun away, friend. Answer the question. He was unimpressed. A small smile lifted the corners of his mouth. I'm a licensed private investigator. Don't put any hole in me while I'm getting my wallet. I'll show you. He took the wallet out. He took out a card encased in plastic and nipped it toward us. Irene picked it up. It had his picture and a thumbprint and two official-looking countersignatures, and it said he was licensed by the state of Illinois. His name was Arnold Pratt. The card said he was 41 years old, 6 foot 1, and weighed 250. But what are you investigating? Just investigating. And who are you, lady? Maybe you're trespassing. You're working for Mary Horseman, aren't you? The smile was gone instantly. He didn't seem to move or breathe. I had the impression that a very good mind behind that flat, tough face was working rapidly. I'm afraid I don't know the name. He had waited too long. Who are you? I'm a writer. Pratt looked me up and down and then glanced at Irene before turning to me. You ain't no writer. Irene turned to me with a puzzled look on her face. She didn't turn back to Pratt. 
but she kept a steady look on me. We're going to report this to the police. She broke her stare when Pratt started talking. Go ahead, lady. Be a good citizen. Give them the word. Come on, Hansa. We went back up the trail. When we got to the car, I looked back and saw him standing by his car watching us. Irene was oddly silent as I drove back toward the Hirsch camp. What's the matter? I don't know. At first I thought you lied to me. Then I believed you. Now, I don't know. What don't you know? You asked him about a merry horseman. It shocked him when you asked him that. Anybody could see that. Lizette ran away with a man named Horseman. What would you think to ask Mr. Pratt that question? What are you really doing in Librocunta, <laughs> if that's your real name? I told you what I'm doing. Then why did you ask that man that question? The police picked me up last night, and they had word that Mary Horseman had hired a private eye to come here. This will be the third. They thought I was the man. They interrogated me, and then they let me go. So I guess that maybe he was the man. Hansa, if you're here to write up Floyd... I think you would have told me that before now. It's a cute and interesting little story if you were just to write up Floyd. And I can't believe that you would have forgotten it. I just didn't think of telling it. That's not good, Hunter. I know it isn't. You're not writing about Floyd, are you? You're just really interested in him like Stucky. Why are you here? Look, Irene, I... There's another reason why I came. I lied to you. I'd rather not tell you why I came here. But it has something to do with Floyd? That's right. He is dead, isn't he? He's dead. You're a liar. How can I trust anything you say? I guess you can't. She locked the camp and on the way back told me which turns to take. She had nothing else to say. I drove into her place and she opened the door quickly to get out. I'm sorry about this. You've made me feel like a fool. I talked a lot to you. I believed you. And so I told you things I've never told anybody. Just to help you when you had no intention of writing up Floyd. I tell you, I'm sorry. <laughs> that doesn't do very much good. But I'll give you this much benefit of the doubt, Hunter. Look right at me and tell me that you have no reason to be ashamed of why you came here. I looked into the gray eyes and like Pratt, I hesitated too long. She slammed the car door and went to the house without looking back. She was not a girl you could lie to. She was not a girl you would want to lie to. My little cover story now seems soiled and dingy. I drove into town. I started my drinking at the LeBrook Inn. I hit a great many bars. There was a woman I bought drinks for. At one time, I was in a men's room and four of us were singing. The door was locked and somebody was pounding on it. We were making fine music. I was sick in a hedge and couldn't find my car. I wandered a long time before I found it. I don't know what time it was. It was late. I woke up in the motel room. Don't remember how I got there. I looked out the curtain and my car was there. Time to leave LeBrook. The bottle of water made me feel bloated but didn't quench my thirst. My head pounded in a dull, ragged rhythm. I shaved slowly, painfully. The shower made me feel a little better. I decided it was time to go. Time to leave this place. I needed a fresh start. Thought about Central America again. My Spanish was rusty, but I'd get by. Any kind of job besides law enforcement or being a private investigator. Some kind of manual labor that would make me too tired to think. I packed my two bags, I left them inside the door and went out to unlock the trunk. All the transit cars were gone. A big dog stood with his feet against the side of my car, looking in the side window. The cold, thin buzzard woman was carrying sheets and towels out of one of the other rooms and dumping them into a hamper on wheels. The dog jumped back as I walked by. He stood 20 feet away and whined in a funny way. 
I made as though to throw gravel at him, and he went further back. I glanced inside the car as I was heading to unlock the trunk. I stopped and looked for a long time. It seemed like an effort to take my eyes away. A big body was on the floor in the back, legs bent, head tilted sideways. It was Arnold Pratt. Thank you for listening to Seamus. If you liked this episode of Seamus, please leave a review and tell your friends. Seamus, The Case of the Mason Jars, Part 6, Not a Writer, is based on the book A Bullet for Cinderella by John MacDonald. Hunter James was played by Tom Hinton. Irene Hirsch was played by Marsha Taylor. Arnold Pratt was played by Patrick Brancate. I'm Leslie Woodrock. This episode of Seamus was written by Max Reese and directed by Tom Hinton. Seamus is a New Meadows Media production. All rights reserved.